I can remember guys with VHS cameras going to scenes of mine that I responded to recording us and taunting us, trying to get us to say something or react to a certain situation or if we were taking someone in custody for, for whatever and a citizen running out with a big VHS camera on their shoulder recording it to see if something was going to happen. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today I feature a two-part episode that digs into the realities of police work in America. Part one is called What It's Like to Be a Black Police Officer in America. This is part two, What It's Like to Be a Latino Police Officer in America, which features an interview with Lieutenant James Espinoza. And as I said in part one, the episode titles themselves are kind of clickbait since it's misleading to think that an individual can speak for an entire race of people. I didn't go through any formal process to get these interviews. I just talked to a couple of guys I grew up with and now work as police officers. I've known James Espinoza since we were both teenagers attending high school at Wichita North. James was always focused and ambitious. He played baseball and was the star quarterback of the football team. And he was the son of a cop. His dad, John Espinoza, was a career police officer and a guy that most all the kids at our school knew and respected. James hadn't planned on being a cop himself. He played football at Tabor College in Kansas with the idea of one day becoming a teacher and a coach. But this all changed one day when his father was shot on the job, an incident that ultimately led to James becoming a police officer himself. James talks about that in the interview. He also talks about all kinds of issues relating to his 25 years on the job, from his rookie days in the post-Rodney King era of policing to the current-day use of technology like body cameras. We talk about how policing a mid-sized city like Wichita compares to police work in bigger cities. We also talk about TV depictions of police work and how the job often involves dealing with mentally ill people and many other issues that people not familiar with police work probably haven't considered. I talked with James late last month when I was home for the holidays. He dropped by my house in north central Kansas on the way to see his teenage kids play a basketball game. Here he is. So almost a year to the day, uh, I get called in the uh, athletic office and they said, hey, your father's been shot twice and he's in surgery. And understand that was a very numbing kind of situation didn't know what you know quite what to do. Uh, we're talking probably '92, so there really wasn't cell phones yet. So it wasn't like I could pick up a phone, make a call, and check. Um, and Tabor's in Hillsboro, which is maybe an hour, forty-five minutes. Probably, I think I made the drive in about forty-two minutes. Okay, uh, I drove straight to uh, uh, straight to uh, St. Francis via uh, Christie Medical Center, where he was uh, admitted and was in surgery, etc. And as a 19-year-old young man going on 20, you know you know everything in the world. And I say that sarcastically, obviously. Right. And me and him had, had uh, an argument about three weeks before, so I hadn't talked to him. And then I get this, this call from the athletic director that said, hey, uh, your dad's been shot. So that, that was a big lesson on my behalf of with your loved ones, never leave angry, never you know, end on a bad note. You know, always try to be at peace with, you know, the ones you love. How did this influence your career decisions? Because you're still thinking maybe coach, teacher. Right, right. And then your dad's in the hospital. Yep. Um, I don't know, when I walked in the ER, you know, I'd, I'd try to get a little emotional about this, but I remember walking in both 
both sides of the wall were shoulder to shoulder officers. And, and, and I knew officers that had worked with my dad from his part time jobs. Like, uh, we have a, in Wichita, we have a uh, minor league baseball team, and my dad would work a part time down there. And there were several officers that would work with him. So I'd go down and see him. And, and he would work as a coach? He worked as a security officer okay. there at Lawrence Dumont Stadium. Sure. Uh, along the river in Wichita. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get to know a lot of the officers that way. And so, you know, walking in the hospital with a, another teammate who actually went with me, you know, it was, it was, it was, it just was a situation that I looked at, and I'm like, "Wow, these these guys really, you know, care about my dad." And uh, it was just a short time later. I decided not to go back to school, and I said, "You know what? I think I want to sign up. I think I'm going to be a, uh, a police officer." And uh, there was just an outpouring of support from the community, and and from people who I say are the quiet majority, you know, not the loud minority. So that actually influenced your decision to go into police work yourself. Absolutely. Your dad, I mean, your dad being shot on the job. Yep, yeah, and obviously growing up and seeing it and, and, and the games he would play, uh, you know, he'd walk into his, our house and, you know, freeze and we'd, you know, grab the wall. Little games like that, you know, and he'd, you know, always play around with us like that. So, yeah, it definitely was a big part of uh, my decision to become and follow his footsteps in law enforcement. And what's your dad's backstory? Did he... Did he come from the law enforcement family? Or? Nope, nope. He came from uh, 16 brothers and sisters out of Hutchinson, Kansas. Okay, All And right. uh, actually got declined several times. Hutchinson wouldn't hire him. Uh, he had a, a brother that was in a lot of trouble, and so they wouldn't hire him in Hutch. Was it a Mexican-American family? Is that where your family uh, comes from? My, my uh, grandfather was first, or not even first generation. My dad was first generation. So they came over, my grandmother and him came over from Mexico. Okay. Yep, and then so then my dad was born in from my understanding, Kansas, and then uh, in Hutch. In Hutch. Okay, so your dad, your dad came from a big family. Huge, yeah. Uh, and, and you say one of the siblings was sort of in trouble sometimes, oh, yeah. and, and well, so, several of them were. Okay, but this one in particular was. And and why did he want to become a police officer? You know what? I, I never did ask him, hmm. and that's a regret I have. Uh, I think you know he, you know he had a brother that went to prison for a long time for robbery. Uh, one of my uncles, and uh, you know, that hurt him, you know, seeing that. And, uh, you know, the several of my family members have went one way. I mean, I've arrested family members myself, and, and uh, you know, no one's above the law. I know it's a, a catchphrase a little bit, but, th but th that is true, and my dad uh, uh, upheld that, and it was always a good example of that. Hmm. So uh, you have a younger brother, right? I do, yep. Uh, Derek? Derek, that's yeah. correct. Yep. Is did he become a police officer? He well? did. Okay. He did. He was uh, injured in a uh, incident on the job and took a medical retirement. And how comparable is uh, like Wichita to, to other cities? Is policing like I, I looked up the statistics? Wichita is the fiftieth biggest city in the United States, but that's a little deceptive because uh, metropolitan areas sort of change things, and so. If you count metro areas, it's like 83rd or something. Correct. So how might, uh, does Wichita, does policing in Wichita differ a lot from a Chicago or a Denver or a Dallas? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, something I truly believe. Uh, I remember back in the 90s, I was part of a gang unit here in Wichita. And I remember going to some training across the country, and I was in California, L.A., went to an L.A. gang conference, which at the time, they were the 
the, the premier units in the country dealing with gangs every day, every minute, every hour, what have you. And uh, I remember a guy kind of looking and laughing at me and my colleague at the time. Going, you guys are from where? And uh, I said, Wichita, Kansas. And uh, he goes, what is that? You guys moving cows? You know, that's, that's kind of the stigma that, you know, Kansans have is, you know, we're just cattle farmers and that's all we do. And I remember looking at him because it kind of offended me a little bit. And I said, well, quite frankly, what's the difference in a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles, California and a drive-by in Wichita, Kansas? Or a child murdered being shot in their head in California and the difference in Wichita. And of course that squashed his comments and because, you know, the gang violence could happen anywhere. So to go back to what your original question was, is how is it different? It's really the same. We have the same type of problems here in Wichita than we do anywhere in the country. When you were a part of the force, um, you have a name like Espinoza. Were you, mm -hmm. Was it assumed that you would um, be involved in Hispanic parts of the city? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I, you know, my name preceded me. I want to be very clear. My father was on for over 20, 20 years there in Wichita and, and highly decorated. So when I got on, you know, as one person once told me, if you do half the job your dad did, you're going to be fine. And so that's all I ever tried to do was to do that. Um, being a Latino officer, uh, yes, i am got all kinds of, you know, I'm Mexican and English and what have you, but... And I'm going to probably speak a little bit with with uh, with Bear. Working minority communities, when you're that minority, there's a lot more pressure on you. Okay, you know, for myself and Bear, you know, you're the Uncle Tom. If you're Jerry, if you're Bear, hmm. myself, you know, you're a sellout working for the man. I mean, you get that extra um, uh, calling out, so to speak, from community members. And I'm not saying they're the best community members, but they are part of that community. So they always give you a ribbon, you know, hey, you know, what a sellout you are. You know, you should be living here. And so. So is this North Wichita then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I never, I when I first started, I was assigned to uh, predominantly Northeast Wichita, which is the African-American community. And I enjoyed that very well. A lot of great people in that area and and uh, really enjoyed myself. And that's that's where I consider my home when it, when it came to, to being a police officer. That's where I started. That's where I learned. And. And like I said, I got to meet a lot of great people. What made your dad a good cop? Well, I, I joked when I was a rookie, they did a, an article about him. And again, this was in 93. And community policing was being pushed, but it was being pushed across the country. And I I, I think I made a quote in the, in the Wichita Eagle and Beacon at the time. I said, you know, they talk about community policing. And I think I made the comment that uh, John, my or said my dad invented community policing. And my point of that was, is my dad was always out. He was always talking to people. He was always uh, talking with citizens of what was important to them. Uh, he knew people's names uh, on a certain street. He actually patrolled the East High area uh, in that area for a lot of years. Yeah, he worked Northeast as well, but, but around East High, he, he worked for some time. And, and uh, uh, But he knew all the neighbors. And... Uh, you know, to this day, I can't go anywhere without somebody saying, hey, you know, hey, I knew your dad or, or what have you. He just, he was, he was that guy. He just knew everybody. 
and and so now you're in Northeast Wichita. You're a, you're a, a rookie officer, mm-hmm. and, and if my memory serves me correctly, that was sort of concurrent with a more national gang presence in Wichita. Correct. 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 Uh, so what were what were your anxieties and and what did you enjoy about the job? What bothered you about the job? Um, was it dangerous right away? What what was it like to be a rookie? Well, I go back um, to a lot of. Uh, well, first of all, as I commented earlier about North High, that prepared me to be you know, the man I am today with the diversity there, and I think you would agree with me on that. Yeah, I think I, I think we went to North High in a very special time when it was just effortlessly diverse, like for whatever reason. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I've talked with, with Joe Rodriguez about this, is that it's hard. Uh, since then, I've never been in an in, in a environment that's quite so you know, diverse in that way, you mm-hmm. know, that it just, it was on every sports team in every class you had, um, Hispanics, Vietnamese, Cambodians, black, white. Um, and we were lucky, I think for that to happen. Very blessed. Yeah. Like I said, it's made me the, the man I am and helped me with my relationships with, with teammates, with coworkers, with students. Uh, I mean, you've posted a picture of your track, uh, team. Yeah. Very diverse, uh, group of, uh, men. Yeah. And, uh, and and many that we're both friends with and, and, and have Bear, relationships. Bear is in that picture. He is. Yeah. Yep. Bear is. Yep. I played baseball at the time, I think, and that's why I'm, I never did track because I did the yeah. other two sports. But no, I've, I've I've posted that picture before, and it's like, well, where did you go to high school? And it's like, well, yeah. So everybody on the front row of the track picture is black. I mean, yeah. that's just <laughs> what I grew up with. So anyway, not to yep. have too much of an aside, but right. we were. I think we were blessed to to have to grow up in a situation where that's just the way things were. Right. You know? Right. So, so, so here I am, and, and at the time I was uh, assigned to a shift that was very tough, a lot of tough love, and there were some issues there. Um, a lot of senior officers would not let you drive. You had to oh, sit so, in the so, passenger seat. So tough means tough within the force, not tough on the streets, but tough as a Internally, rookie. Internally, okay. as a rookie. Gotcha. So... Uh, there was a group of guys that wouldn't let you drive if you were assigned their beats. Because the, back then, you'd get paired up a lot. And again, this is right after Rodney King out in L.A. So I want to give some people some background, a little bit of some timeline there, what we're talking about here. Racial tensions were higher. There were. Nationwide. Nationwide. I think the year after I got on, uh, the year before, we had 58 homicides. And that's not including the two murders that actually happened on campus of Wichita State. 58 homicides in Wichita? In Wichita. Wow. In 92. Okay. Yep. And and that's a that's another story, but but uh, yeah, two other individuals were shot and killed on the campus. Well, since Wichita State has their own police department, they had to count those as their murders and not Wichita PD. Huh. So, and were they neighborhood people or campus uh, people? One of them, no. It, what they did, they did a special event there, and they actually had honored my father for being shot that same year. They were doing hometown heroes, uh, cake, Channel Ten did this thing where they honored special people without our community. And my dad happened to be recognized in that for being shot and that, that year before and killing the, the individual that shot him and, you know, responding to a call. And, but my dad that night, as the crowd was leaving, he says, no, everybody stay in the stadium. And this is what I was going to go into with John and you know, my dad is, is that he had this sense, man, that, that I got a little bit of, but he just knew it all. And he said, no, you stay right here. And we're like, Come on, everybody else is leaving. He goes, no, stay right here. We're going to leave after everybody clears out. 
And it just so happened when everybody was exiting, two rival gang members saw each other, had a gunfight. A lady was innocently killed, and then the other gang member that was involved was was murdered too. Wow. And uh, that, again, just showed, you know, his instincts and how to be a good police officer. And, and, and you know, he's a lot, or he, he lived through his career as a police officer. Actually, real quick, because my listeners are going to wonder, briefly, what happened? How did he get shot? Was it? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. He responded to uh, a uh, forgery in progress at the Radio Shack. Forgery? A forgery. And, 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 you, and you're thinking, you know, a forgery. And, and guy went in and tried to pass a, a hot check. And uh, as luck would have it, before he got there, the suspect had left. And at the time, our department's policy, from what I've been told, was that if the suspect left, then the victims could call what's called case desk and make the report over the phone. Okay? Well, so they're literally on the phone with dispatch saying, hey, the suspect left. The same time my dad walks in, walks up to the counter. Uh, to this day, he'll tell you he would have made a mistake. He had his clipboard in his right hand, and uh, which was his uh, gun, gun hand, gun side. Because then they, he assumed that the, the person, you know, was gone. So he walks in, guy's gone. And the clerk's on the phone going, pointing, he's right there. And as he turns around, guy walked up and shot him. Man, a forgery suspect. A forgery suspect. Obviously, he had some substance issues um, and shot him in his torso. And then my dad returned fire. Okay. Uh, man, actually, I remember when... That- um, I think I was all, I heard about it. I was living in Oregon then, but I, I'd heard about that just because your dad was uh, such a well-liked guy around the North community. And so now let's go back to uh, your rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that having experienced a, a place like North was helpful, but you were also getting razzed or, or um, somehow uh, hazed by your fellow officers what was what was rookie life like well i was i was a lot more prepared than other guys because you know i had a cop living at home i grew up in a, in a policeman's home and uh i can remember hearing scuttle from other officers even out of my class that were up there but even the class before who were still kind of getting some of it you know not being able to drive and having to take all the reports and, and that type of stuff and i remember going and talking to my dad and complaining i said you know man they're they won't let me drive a police car and and he, he kind of just stopped me there for a second. He says, uh, do you know how to drive a car? Do you have a driver's license? I said, well, yeah, sure. He goes, well, what's the difference? Why don't you learn to be a police officer first? Do you know where every street is over there? If one of your buddies was shot in the, and I hate to say this, but at the time, Wichita had a street called Ghetto. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. I know Wichita pretty well. I did not know it had a street called Ghetto. Is it in Northeast? It was Northeast Wichita, North of 13th Street. And so he threw it out there, Ghetto and Estelle. Okay, I know well, Estelle. Well, I happen to know, because the, the, some of my FTOs, my beat partners, would tell me, you know, hey, look at this street. It's ghetto is kind of a uh, thing that would be brought up every time with new officers. There is a Ghetto Street. So, you know, my dad had brought that up to me to make sure that I knew, because it was only like three blocks long. And uh, so... <clears throat> I said, well, I know where that is. He goes, yeah, but you don't know everything. Sit back in the police car, learn to write good reports and document what citizens are telling you, and you can drive a police car the rest of your career. Learn to be a good policeman. 
And so I took that for what that was and moved on. He said, learn to be a good placement. So in those first few years, what did that consist of, being a good placement? Knowing the people on your beat. It was hard as a new officer because you don't get a beat assigned to you right away, so you ride relief because cops need days off too. So when that officer was off, well, put Espinosa there. He would, So it was hard to kind of get to know people at first. But I learned to kind of know the regulars. And let me, let me expand on that a little bit. So at the time, our police department had a policy where you could only get uh, three, you could only check out three mug shots at a time. What, is, what does that mean? Well, Northeast was a very populated area with gangs. So I thought, hey, I'm gonna need to, I need to know who the hitters are. Who, who, are the, who are the worst gang members we got in town and know them? So that's when I began starting to have a mug book. I had uh, uh, to make a better officer. I wanted to make sure I know who I was dealing with, Dan, or if something came out. Well, I know that's where, and I'm making this name up. Okay, I want to make it very clear. James Smith lives, so to speak. Well, James Smith lives over here. He's a Crip gang member. You know, I, I, I know where he's at. So I'd go up, and, and I, I find it kind of funny to this day. I think it was three, maybe five, but you could only do five. Because uh, God forbid they'd want you to know too many people at once, you know. But so I'd go up, I'd get my five mugs. Well, they were a little, I don't know, three by four pictures. And they had the first picture of their face head on and then a side picture. Well, I would take them and I'd put them in my shirt pocket. And back then we worked eight-hour days. And unlike today, we worked ten, so we were working five days a week. And uh, we had a lot of traffic control back then because we were so short we'd have to work accidents. Or if we'd worked a scene, guarding a scene of a house that was getting a search warrant or what have you. Well, I would sit there and I'd go through my mugs. And I'd try to relate and recognize individuals. Um, again, I was working in an African-American community, so I wanted to make sure I knew who was what. And, and I got to know them and it really helped me with my career. When you say you got to know them, you got to know the people in the mug shots? Or just people all through? Noise? I knew them. And then I'd get to know business uh, business owners. Certain places uh, had hot spots where you'd have more gang members kind of come by and hang out with, and I got to know them. And and uh, you know you would start having neighborhood meetings. So I always wanted to meet the people that were trying to make a difference. And back then you didn't have your your cell phone, so you give them business cards, say call the station, leave a message, I'll come by, I'll call you the next day, and that's what you did. Was that a Difficult part of your career. I mean, now you're a lieutenant. Um, you have a lot more seniority and authority. Um, how do you look back on that, the 1990s phase of your? That's career? probably the best part of my career. Really? How so? Um, because you learn every day. You know, I think I, I still have the philosophy. You can learn something new every day. You know, we're sitting here talking back and forth. We talked before we, you turned the tape recorder on. I learned something about you. You know, with just visiting, you're learning stuff about police right now. And I always have had that mindset, and I tell rookie officers, always, always understand you, you can always learn every day. And so what's, what's happened now is being a commander for the last 10 years or so, maybe not quite that long, is more of the uh, uh, political side of things and management and, and dealing with unions and you know that type of stuff instead of just working your 10 hours and then going home and not have to worry about anything. For myself, you know, I got a report I got to write by, you know, in two weeks or 
I got to get this guy some training or, you know, there's just always something that's, that's always going on. So it's hard to leave it at work. So day to day then, actually, well, I'll jump back to your injury. How did you hurt your back or, or was that a, a job related thing? It was, I was, uh, assigned to the gang unit. And at that time we would follow up on homicides that occurred in Wichita. And so I literally had worked all night, came in my shift, I believe around four thirty, and it worked throughout the night working a homicide, we had a suspect in custody. We caught the suspect, me and my partner, who had uh, shot someone. And- uh, the, the suspect had shot someone. Yeah, we, we had the guy that did the murder. Okay. Got him in custody, took him upstairs to investigations when they were doing their part, and someone, a supervisor, had ordered us to go back out and try to contact a couple neighbors. And me and my partner, I was driving. We're up on North Hillside, uh, I think around 15th Street North. And as you know, 17th Street is kind of an intersection. They have a McDonald's there in Wichita State Campus. So it's a little bit busier. So as I'm northbound in the curb lane, uh, I slowed down to turn into a parking lot. And as I look in my rearview mirror, there's a young lady that's putting lipstick on her mouth. And I later learned that she was going to Wichita State for a class. And she was putting her makeup on and didn't notice, and she rear-ended this. Doing about 45. So I wish the story was cooler, but it's not. That was it. So just a, a random makeup-related mishap. Yep. Huh. Yep. That's actually a, yeah. You what, know. A, what, a, what a strange story. It is a strange story, but that's, that's part of it, I guess. How much of the job involves the possibility of physical danger? Well, um, understand we have a policy where anytime an officer is injured, we have to document it. Uh, I've had an officer in the last several months um, had a handcuff uh, prisoner and was walking him to the car and the guy decided to sit down. And it fractured the thumb of the officer, got it caught in the handcuffs and broke it. Workman's comp claim. Myself, I think I'm, I'm around a dozen different work comp claims just because of just, uh, I chased a guy once and when I opened my door, as I was getting out, the door came back and hit me in the face. You know, and I got a scar here on my chin from the door coming back. Stuff like that, they got a document, you know, come to the station, you got blood, blood on your uniform, you know, what the hell happened to you? And, and uh, you know, you try to suck it up, but they, you know, there's still paperwork to do. You gotta document that stuff. So um, there's always something. You know, I know guys that have rolled their ankles, hurt their thumbs, backs, obviously is a big thing, car wrecks, et cetera. Uh, and then ultimately, the ultimate sacrifice of, of giving your life. Um, for your listeners, and, uh, you know, we have an officer who just got back from rehab. I don't know if you've been following uh, Brian Otterburn, who was ran over by a suspect. And it is a true miracle that he's alive. Um, was that a traffic stop or a more active criminal investigation? We, it, was a, it was a pursuit and uh, Brian went to uh, throw spikes to stop the tire, the vehicle by deflating the tires and was uh, hit by the suspect. You know, I, I saw, I would just out of curiosity was searching your name in, in Wichita Police and you were a spokesman for uh, two years, was it? A little over two years, yep. So your name is attached like between 2000, around the 2014 era, your name <laughs> is attached to all kinds of stories. That's correct. Um, and one thing that, was a little bit unsettling is that sometimes 
the more complicated cases started with a domestic violence call or like a traffic stop where an officer ended up getting dragged or something. Um, how, how much a part of the, the thought process of the officer um, goes into that element of not knowing when a situation is going to be a lot more dangerous than it seems? How, does, how, how, do, how do you manage that as a police officer? Well, I think that uh, officers in general, and I'm not just talking about Wichita, I'm talking about across the country, um, get complacent. It's a, I'm not going to say it's an epide epidemic, but I think officers get, get complacent. And uh, no calls ever the same. And um, you just don't know what kind of day that person you have is having, or you're going to go meet is having. And I would even say this, that, over my career, there has been people that you just know because they call the police so much. And several of these people are just lonely, believe it or not. You know, well, I'll call 911 and, you know, talk to dispatchers or want an officer to come out and complain about something. <clears throat> but obviously, there are moments in time where it's, it's life and death. It is. And I've uh, been very fortunate um, uh, to just, you know, had several officers shot that I know, good friends of mine, uh, but the majority of them have lived. Uh, uh, had a couple incidences where uh, Lieutenant Jack Galvin was uh, getting rid of some explosives, some fireworks, and was killed in the line of duty. Um, had a classmate of mine, Kevin Easter, who was uh, tragically shot by a young teen. Uh, traffic pursuit. That was a kid from Dodge City or something. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And he was a classmate. Kevin's a classmate of mine, and his brother Jeff was was on the department as well. And then he come, you know, they have a father that was on the department that worked with my dad. So, you know, you have two families there that have a uh, long line of uh, uh, police work. But uh, you just never know. And that kind of goes back to what I told you, and I learned years ago. You know, when I had that falling out with my dad, and and you know, at nineteen, you know it all. And, uh, you know, never leave your loved one be, never leave angry with your loved ones. So. How do you, you know, speaking of emotions, how do you toe the line between not getting complacent yet not being too twitchy, you know? Because it seems like a lot of the bad policing decisions that make headlines involve um, twitchy officers, you know, the thing that happened in South Carolina or whatever. Um, is, well, is, is there training? To... The, if you're referring to the individual that shot the man in the back, is that what you're referring to? Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a of an egregious um, situation in that. Well, like one. not to be too outspoken, but that's just upright murder to me. Okay. I mean, that, to be quite frank, that's a bad police officer. So it uh, wasn't. And I use that term lightly when I say police officer, but yes. Okay. He was working as a police officer. Yes. Well, I guess that's another question that I can throw into the mix is, are these cases that we read about in the news a matter of bad police officers or bad administrative policies? policies? Well, understand, from my understanding, what I learned, like, say, I brought up Rodney King earlier. Correct, yeah. Okay. And that was the beginning of your career. You sort the of came of into the post-Rodney post King environment. Absolutely, absolutely, where I can remember guys with VHS cameras going to scenes of mine that I responded to recording us and taunting us, 
trying to get us to say something or react to a certain situation or if we were taking someone in custody for for whatever and a citizen running out with a big VHS camera on their shoulder recording it to see if something was going to happen. But like from L.A., they had policies in place where they weren't supposed to go hands-on with people. Which means? Uh, punching, grabbing. So they used their PR-24s to hit Rodney King. And a PR-24 is a nightstick? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a term nightstick or, or what have you. And so that's how they were trained. So you're right, going back to your policy, that's what, that was their policy in L.A. Um, and was that a public relations-oriented policy or a best practices-oriented policy? You know, that would, I don't really want to comment on that because I, I don't know how they, they came up with that. But that's why it is important for a department to have policies and procedures, you know, because officers need guidelines of how to do their jobs. And uh, so... Um, so does it err on the side? Can, can good admitted, could, can good administrative policies preempt, uh, you know, the random bad police officer? Or is that, is, is the, the bad apple police officer always going to be something that um, police departments are up against? Or is that just a... a well, let me, let me comment on that. I think that kind of even starts at the beginning. And what happens, and I've learned this years ago, is a lot of departments have a lot of staff in the internal affairs part of it where they discipline and look into investigations and police. But if you look at their hiring process, they've only got two or three people. Well, shouldn't it be the other way around? So you can... you can Weed some out. You can weed some out, yeah. I mean, you know, do your work on the front end and you wouldn't hire the bad apples, so to speak. Do do your ground do you know do the background do the the groundwork so to speak. Um, the the big thing though is is understand you know you talked about the incident in South Carolina and I, I took a stab at what I thought you were talking about and I was right, but understand back years ago we used to have the fleeing felon rule, Which where is? if you ran from the police they could shoot you. How long ago was that? I want to say, and don't quote me, in the 70s. Now, you think about that for a second. What are you saying? Run from the police with a weapon or just run from the police, period? Period. Hmm. So if you're walking up, I know there's officers on an apartment years ago. I heard stories that, you know, burglary in progress, somebody breaking into a building, they jump out, run out of a window, you can shoot them, shoot at them, or, you know, it was done. Which seems, yeah. That's, what? I mean, it just <laughs> messed up, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it just puts a lot of power in the hands of uh, someone showing up without a lot of information. Right, right, right. right. Um, but, but as you see, uh, laws have, you know, have evolved, uh, evolved over the years. And so you, you entered the forest in, right in the wake of Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Um, have, has policing changed much in the quarter century that you've been doing it? I believe so, yes. In what ways? Well, first of all, technology. I mean, that's just a just revolving every day, just evolving every day. I'm sorry, evolving every day. It's just different things. Well, I think if there's one reason why police, you know, bad policing is in the news now, it's because of the smartphone camera. Right? Correct. Well, cameras in general. Yeah. Cameras are everywhere. They're on buildings. They're on stoplights. Uh, a friend of mine got a ticket, I believe, in Phoenix, Arizona, and they take a picture of it if you. Uh, run a red light and they send it to you in the mail and they suspend your license if you don't take this class and stuff 
I mean, it's pretty brutal. I mean, and my friend who lived there part time, they wanted him to drive out there and take this class, and you know, he don't, you know, he was a seasonal person, and uh, so yeah, it's everywhere. Obviously, we want Axon cameras, and, and you can go to any YouTube page and look up police cameras, and you can see all kinds of videos. Um, Did, are, the there, are there body cameras in the Wichita Police Department? Yes, we have a policy that mandates they have to wear. And what's your thought on that? I mean, um, do you think that that's a, is that a good um, practice? There's, there's pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. But just visualize in the future uh, attorneys, um, or not even say attorneys, but let's say uh, trials, all on the basis of what the officer filmed. Not what they said, but what's filmed. Because those cameras only have a certain angle. They don't have, you know, peripheral vision. They don't have, uh, there's only, you know, the time elapsed, meaning, yeah, you can push the button and turn yourself on, and it goes back so many seconds, but maybe not that second before that. You know, so there's some questionable things I think that can be questioned. I think it's good. It's helped us as a department uh, to clear up a lot of complaints. I know our professional standards uh, does a great job of bringing people in going, okay, Mr. Potts, you said this happened. Here's the video. And it's nothing like they said. So are there a lot of unwarranted complaints that come in? Uh, we've seen a reduction of that. So it has helped in that, in that sense. Oh. Do you ever, I mean, more so than your average job, you have to deal with people who maybe have mental illness issues or, or mm-hmm. maybe have drug issues mm-hmm. uh, or emotional issues. Does that get wearying? Do you ever, does it... And do you just get pessimistic about human nature sometimes, or is that something that you get used to as well? I want to be as clear as I can be on this. Mental health is one of the largest problems we have in society today. We are over-medicated as a community, as a society. And I'm not just talking about Wichita, Kansas. Um, And if you look, going back to 93, we had mental health facilities. We had state hospitals. Those are on the decline. We don't have those as much anymore. So like everything, what happens? Let the police take care of it. Let the police deal with it. When understanding the police is to here to serve and protect, understand that. But it's to uphold laws to uh, protect people's property. But what it's turned into be is we're now social workers also. We're doing training on that. We have to have people that are what's called uh, um, CIT trained, which is uh, a training for mental health issues to you know to, to help with people that are that are having uh, uh, crisis. What does CIT health. stand for? Uh, I have to get back with you on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was going to say, but I'm not 100 percent sure. So we'll I apologize. Put it in, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I think there's a corollary in teaching that, that in recent generation, teachers have also become nutritionists and, and have had to look for absolutely signs of, of early mental illness issues and things like that. So, yes, one interesting aspect of our conversation when we spoke by phone a couple of weeks ago, I was you were talking about certain aspects of the job. And I said, that's exactly like The Wire. And uh, <laughs> you said, I don't watch. Police TV shows. Uh, explain that for us. Sure, sure. And, and I guess you did ask me a question about what the, you know, what what do people have the visions of officers? But to me, it's just so unreal. 
TV cop shows. TV cop shows. Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, have I I've been around officer-involved shootings? I have. It's not glamorous. It's not, hey, we're going to go to dinner that night and we're partying. It's nothing like that. There's a lot of issues that come with that. You know, I've had friends that, even my father talking to him before he passed, taking a human life, you know, there's something to that. Um, a lot of them won't talk about it. Does Do shows like Cops get it wrong? Do, do they get it wrong? Yeah. I mean, do they misrepresent or are they a fairly uh, accurate representation of I think, what they depict? I think at times uh, they use people because some of these people are, that's the worst time of their lives. They're most, they're most vulnerable there. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's an issue a little bit I have with it. But at the same time, it does give some type of, of candid um, idea of what we have to go through. Then everybody wants to put their hands behind their back and get cuffed up. You know, some people like to fight, some people like to run. Um, I mean, there's stories after stories after stories. I mean, we could talk for weeks that you just wouldn't believe. And, and to be quite frank, I don't know if the community, any community as a whole, could take what officers see on a day-to-day basis. What's an example? Uh, I think my, my guys worked three, uh, recently worked three suicides in one day. Three suicides in one day. You know, and that's that's someone with with problems and issues, and it goes back to mental health situation and stuff. So, in uh, one district of of one medium sized American city, there were three in one day that that the same officers attended to a group of officers. I mean, you're talking about a shift of having eight people, so it affected everybody on that shift that day. Let's take it one step further. Uh, with again, we talked about technology, and I only hit on a couple things that that our departments revolve on. There's there's more. Um, but our, our uh, Exploited Missing Children's Unit, the child pornography, the, you know, we have to, you know, scour the internet finding these, these, these the people that do that. To find local people? That's, sure. Okay. Or even people nationwide that are trying to come to Wichita to, you know, sex trafficking is becoming a huge thing. Huh. Um, so... You know, crime has just continued to develop and continue to grow, and and it gets worse at times. And and you always think, you know, you know, myself and a lot of my colleagues worked on the car trial or the car incident, the massacre of the the, the car brothers, so car the brothers, famous murder. Yeah, uh, or even officers that uh, got to work on the uh, BTK case. You know, the car case was was that about two thousand or. Yeah, sure. Yeah, around there. Yes. Yep. And BTK broke in '05, maybe. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, it, but after 30 years and happened, you know, what was weird about that was my dad actually worked one of those cases, so it was kind of a, a generation thing as well. And, uh, but you always say, you know, you shouldn't say it, but you know, I know officers do. It can't get worse than that, but it typically, you know, can and does. Well, keeping in mind that you have a, a basketball game, your son's playing hoops. Is he yes. a senior? He's a senior. My daughter actually plays varsity as a sophomore. Okay. She starts at six. Oh, okay. So at six, we got two basketball games tonight. So if we're going to be going good. So So keeping in mind that you have two basketball games to go to. Correct. Uh, my point here being just to talk to you to help me and my listeners understand police work a little bit better. What have I missed? What What else would you say about what you do and 
maybe what about it is not fully understood or appreciated? Thank you for asking that question. And it's a good one, I think, to maybe end on. But, uh, you know, we're human too. You just mentioned to me about my basketball games with my kids. We have things going on in our lives prior to putting on that badge and gun every day. But people need to realize that. Think about that. We have to carry a gun to go to work. And people, I don't think, think, take that for granted. That you have to physically arm yourself to go to your employment, to provide for your family. Yes, I know it's our choice. That's what we want to do. But I think as much as, as, as me being administrator, you know, supervisor, and we preach to our officers and talk to them about, you know, be professional. Everybody has a bad day. Um, we're not perfect. Okay. We're not, you know, you brought up South Carolina. We'll keep going on that a little bit. Um, they're bad police officers. They're bad school teachers. Do you ever know any bad school teachers at North High? I knew many. That's they, exactly right. There were some great ones, but there was bad ones too. Yeah. Physicians. I just mentioned that with the Dr. Uh, Schneider over prescribing people. Um, so I think we just had a physician that got sent to prison for molesting uh, gymnasts in the USA. Uh, is that accurate? I it got is, read yeah. something like that. So in all professions are that. My frustration is how the media covers it and makes it more of a race thing, okay? Anytime a white officer injures a, a, a black male or a Latino, and it seems like it falls along the wayside when you have maybe a black officer who shoots a white citizen. Um, and I think your listeners just pay attention to, to the media when it comes to that. Are they covering the same amount when officers get injured? You know, and, and, and the other thing that bothers me is there's laws put in place that people might not know or understand. When an officer tells someone to do something, they need to do it. It's not negotiable. It's not, let's make a deal. It's not, no, just put one hand behind your back and then, you know, you do this and I'll put my other hand behind you. That's not how it goes. Put your, you know. And if, I would encourage your listeners, if, if they run across the police, do as they say. And if you feel like you've been wrongly accused or been treated a certain way, there are avenues for them to pursue, to, to complain, to share their concerns with somebody, to listen, uh, and to get an explanation. I think... People need to be realistic. Uh, you talked about The Wire earlier. I watched a special on HBO last week uh, about Baltimore and how the homicides were going on. And, and these, this group of men looked at the police chief, and the chief goes, what do you need? And the guys go, we need jobs. Was well, that really the police department's job to get somebody a job? But it goes back to what I was telling you about our mental health situation. That's all put back on police now. See, we're, doing, we're, we're taking the big load on that. If we're doing that, and we're sitting with people at the hospital to get evaluated for four or five hours, who's responding to audible alarms? Who's working your car accidents? Who's taking your police report because someone stole your radio out of your car? It affects everybody. Spreads things thin, it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think pay's an issue. Uh, corporate America right now is paying very well. And... How do you lure people from that to go be a police officer when you're in the news all the time about brutality and not responding to the call time fast enough or, you know what I mean on that? Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So, you know, you find plenty of applicants when maybe the civilian world isn't paying as much or what have you, you know, want to jump on board. But uh, 
for the majority, I think most cops want to be there to help and serve, protect and serve. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. You're listening to a Wichita rapper called Twansack with DJ Cadence and Ace Trill performing a song called Smoke and Ride, which name checks our interviewee, Lieutenant James Espinoza. More about this song and everything that was just mentioned can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com slash deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Music is by Cedar Van Tassel. Jan Futterman helps me with the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Don't mean I'll be this loud.